You're listening to Media on the Radio on WERA LP Arlington 96.7 FM. Media on the Radio is a podcast that features conversations with media professionals. Everyone from creators of media to those who do the marketing and distribution. Today in the show we have Mitch Wankus, a Greenpeace video producer who comes on to talk about all the different video projects he's done, plus what kind of impact a video can have on not only an audience, but also making an impact and making a change. I can go look at the likes on YouTube or Facebook. I'm like, but it does. there's no real sense there. I'm not showing it to a live audience. So there's a disconnect between my work and who sees it and how it impacts people. And I think that's true for most video professionals. But for this particular instance, filming this thing had a direct impact on this guy's life and also the environment. And I thought that was pretty cool. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio. And thanks for listening. I originally thought I was going to be like a Hollywood director, you know, because that's kind of all I knew. Uh, Directing one was full my sophomore year, so I happened to take documentary one just because that was what was available, and uh, it just felt right. It it really was a good fit for me, and I kind of ran with it from there. After college, you said you started to work with your professors to get it kind of start to to develop your skills. Were you doing PA work, and where did that lead after? Some of my first jobs, like I remember ditching a commencement walk because I, I took a job at <laughs> edit. So I didn't walk down the aisle for graduation. Um, so yeah. Do some, you regret that at all? Uh, somewhat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time I was so like, oh my God, I have to work. I just, this, I just graduated. Oh my, I was, I was feeling a lot of pressure on myself. So I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. So you jumped kind of right into freelance. It took, about six months right out of college, yeah. So I was a busboy at a steakhouse during college, and so I kept that job for a while out of college and then worked freelance, which was hectic to, like, work so many... Like, learning how to be a freelancer and learning skills still and working at another place. I know that you you currently work at at Greenpeace US um, as a video producer. Is there anything that, that happened in between that time doing freelance... I wanted to go at the at freelance time. I wanted to go down the path of uh, being a cinematographer and to be a cinematographer, you know, you should be well-rounded and should be able to shoot narratives. You should be able to shoot music videos. You shouldn't only be able to shoot just, you know, documentary stuff. So I wanted to get more well-rounded. And uh, so I wanted to do music videos. It was one thing that I wanted to do. And nobody was really hiring me to do that because I had all this documentary work and nothing to show for it. So then I started creating projects with other musicians that I knew. And before I knew it, I was like directing and producing music videos and not shooting them. I learned a lot of producing skills that way. And so when I met Melissa Thompson, the former senior video producer at Greenpeace, she was working on a documentary about the coal plants, two coal plants in Chicago, which I got involved with. Uh, She saw my work. We started working together. And that kind of helped me get seen in a different light. And then when Melissa needed someone to fill in for her when she went on maternity leave, she offered the gig. So, yeah, that's how. I'm the same way as where, you know, it's a master of nothing. Yeah. To a certain degree, I do shooting, editing, directing. Sure. Whatever. I'll uh, I'll sweep your floor. Whatever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, It's funny because I do now that I'm doing more freelance. Sure. I find that. The first day out after a long time of of doing editing, right? Oh, yeah, I have to go really focus on the camera. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's and tough. then what I find is if I'm doing, say, I'll do a, a series of videos 
I've done some several uh, recently where it's kind of the same setup. Sure. And then by video six, I'm sharp. I'm sharp as a tack. Yeah, I can yeah. Set up really quickly. There's no mistakes. No, no. Uh, oops. You know. Yep. Let me re- reframe. Um, but that first day, and it, it is that transition. Whereas, if you're a, a shooter every day, all day, you get into that rhythm. I know with your role at Greenpeace, um, once you once you got brought on and and you've been full time there for for a little while, you do all. They rely on you to do all aspects of producing, shooting, editing. And concept development and, you know, yeah. as well. Um, so talk a little bit about that. It was pretty exciting. Like the first week there was an action uh, down in North Carolina where these activists uh, tied them, locked themselves down to railroad tracks to stop a coal coal train going into a coal plant. <laughs> so it was a big protest. And I was like, I was filming that, like and the police come and all this, everything. And I was just like, wow, what is all this? You know, like it was pretty, it was a pretty exciting time right, right off the gate. And it, and it has evolved. It's not every video that I do is um, filming people getting arrested. It, you know, some of them are PSA-like or issue films or whatnot. It's interesting because Greenpeace is unique in that it's it's a organization that's been around for a long time, but has always had really strong visuals, really yeah. strong media from the beginning. And that was a, a big part of the organization from the beginning is to is as a way to get out the message. Absolutely. And there's the action part of it, but the campaign or the communications is as important, I find, the, um, and I'm sure you agree. In terms of that legacy and the the emphasis on having a strategy and having a really big and developed comms department or communications department, what is it like working in an advocacy group that has even those assets in-house? It's pretty cool that I get to focus just on video, you know, in, in an advocacy organization, whereas I know uh, even different uh, Greenpeace um, offices in different countries have different setups. Like the, our Canadian, my Canadian colleague is also the podcaster, is also the photographer, is also, you know, he, he does everything. He does the video, photos, audio, and it's just him there, you know, and we have two people for video, two people for photography and a graphic designer, so... I'm curious what your take is, and you could speak anecdotally about videos that you've made that have reached a million hits, a <laughs> hundred thousand hits on on YouTube, as opposed to maybe more direct videos that maybe hit a thousand but actually hit the target that you want. So I, I think what's what's interesting as I bring this up is that what seems to be the the Everybody, what everybody wants is as many hits as possible. How much emphasis do you put on what the impact is going to be and what audience is going to you're going to actually reach? I guess the most popular video that I've made has been the Marmot Licks the GoPro video. I don't know if you've seen that one. No. So I set up a GoPro. I was in Glacier National Park. We were filming um, our airship, which is a 135 foot. Um, kind of blimp-like thing. It's a hot air balloon that has a steerable rudder. And you could put a giant message on the side of it. So we're the campaign was Parks Not Coal. We wanted Federal Lands Program to stop leasing coal to coal companies, and, and this was our angle. But anyways, I, I set up a GoPro on a hike in Glacier National Park. It was a, of a valley with a, you know, tranquil blue pond at the bottom of it and, you know, glaciers on each side. And I was just going to get the clouds going by. And um, 
I, I set it up and then went up on my hike. And uh, when I came back down, the GoPro was in the dirt. And I was like, oh, dang it, the wind blew it over. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, uh, you know, went back and looked at how much footage I got. Maybe I'm like, oh, maybe I could still use it. And then I looked and then here's this little you know, marmot, which is like a, a bigger squirrel-like thing. <laughs> and it comes up and it looks and kind of curiously looks at the GoPro, then it violently decides to taste it. And anyways, that video has like two and a half million views right now. <laughs> At the time, I was really frustrated because I was working on all this other, like, about serious issues, climate change, coal, and all this stuff, you know? Um, And I was like, oh, dang it, why isn't anybody, like, looking at all my other stuff, you know? (laughs) But we did have, we did find an angle to uh, uh, link it back to climate change. We had a YouTube annotation at the end, and we said, you know, help save this little, little critter's home from climate change, click here, and it went to a petition or whatever. Well, people like that video. So that was, I guess, the broadest I've ever made, you know, where that Ellen tweeted it and it was on a few like Good Day America or something like that, talked about it or something like that. So we hit like, I guess that's the broad audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done um, other videos with celebrities that have gotten like hundreds of thousands and those are not uh, nothing. You know what I mean? Um, I uh, To people out there who think there's a... Uh, a misconception that you just have a celebrity in your video and it goes viral. That's not true at all. Like you, there are plenty of celebrity videos online that I see on YouTube that have 50 views and it's like, Whoa, that person's huge. Like what happened here? So it's not, it's not just get it done and it, it, it explodes and all the work is done for you. There's definitely a lot of planning that has to go in and making, making sure that you're willing to commit on the back end to distribute it. And then sometimes, um, campaigners just want to get under the skin of some coal company CEO and the video is like directly for them or they're put an ad in a newspaper, you know, that we know the person reads. My wife, Allison Cole, used to work at Greenpeace. Yeah, Allison's and, great. And was involved in a lot of scripting of campaigns. <laughs> She's <also> hilarious. <laughs> and was featured in a couple videos as talent. Yeah. And one I remember that, that I actually worked on as well because I've done some some production work with Greenpeace as well is uh, there was a Costco campaign for Redless Fish. So basically, Costco was selling these these fish that were, you know, overfished or you really sh- don't need to be selling these fish, so there's other options kind of thing. Um, and they did this whole, um, it was basically a, Costco was part of this uh, Redless Fish Anonymous. Yeah, I remember that, watching that. It's funny. That they were trying to, you know, get Costco off the redless fish and it was like as if they were addicted you yeah. know and it, what was interesting about that was apparently that the campaign was directly to middle managers in costco was the actual audience that they were trying to reach and the videos only hit you know three thousand views each sure. they ended up really starting a dialogue between the middle managers in costco and costco ended up you know, yep. changing their policies because not just because of the video, but because of the campaign. Right. And so how do you, as the video person, work with the campaigns in general to, to set that strategy? I would say Greenpeace now is when I started four years ago is focusing less on the, at least just the video wise and what I'm seeing uh, less on the individual, like here's the, here's the target, the, this person and what and whatnot um and focusing more on um reaching our audiences on our different social media platforms like facebook and twitter to get it on costco's radar we'll try to get their brand 
a lot of hits, a lot of eyeballs in a negative way. And then therefore it gets back to them instead of like going directly at them. I guess that's more, that sense. that's been more of the strategy lately and it might switch back, you know, um, Right now we have Facebook. I don't know if you've made videos that have gone on Facebook, but it's a lot of people are watching video on Facebook and it just seems like more and more people are watching video that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we're trying to trying to go with that momentum right now. What interests me is as I get into more corporate video, because that's what's around and that's what um, potentially will pay the bills. um, There's, there's a reluctance to want to drop some pet projects because you have, you, know, you don't want to drop the pet right. projects. So yeah. you, I want to maintain a certain amount of creative video work yeah. that I'm doing on the side. I'm curious to, to know if you have that itch because the type of work that you do is, is creative and it's dynamic, but do, do you still at the end of the day are like, ah, I, I wish I had more, 10 more hours to do this one video or I have this other idea that doesn't fit into a campaign. Sure. Yeah, there is that for sure. Um, at the end of the day, Greenpeace is a nonprofit. And so, um, uh, you know, part of me, will, sometimes uh, with projects, I'm like, oh, man, I just wish we had a bigger budget, you know, to be able to do this right, you know, and or not have to be in such a rush, you know. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a balance. And so um, going back to your question earlier about would I recommend focusing on one discipline, versus uh, kind of being a more generalist um, for people getting into the field. I have found that um, being more of a generalist has allowed me to take on more pet projects and also different, uh, not get pigeonholed in a way, you know? Whereas, um, say if I was only a cinematographer, I don't really have, I I can choose which projects I take on and not, but I don't have a lot of control over the project and like what the content is actually saying. I you know, I can only make a shampoo bottle look, you know, so glamorous, you know? Uh, so, um, I, I would say that learning more uh, skills allows you uh, more freedom and also you have more chances of being your own boss and more, have more control over what you want to say. So I would, I would encourage that. But if there was a project that met up with creatively, you had the time and the space to do it and that you look back and say, I'm really proud of that. I put a lot of sweat and tears into that. And was there one project that kind of stands out in your mind that, or is it just kind of the, what gets you to the next one? Um, I guess the projects that I'm most passionate about are um, the more documentary storytelling types of projects. That's m- more what I'm um, where as an artist, where I like to focus on more. And so uh, a project that I'm proud of is a, uh, it's a like a 10 minute documentary style video uh, about this guy in Southern Illinois who had his water poisoned by a oil well. And it was right before Illinois was about to vote on whether or not to allow hydraulic fracturing, high pressure fracturing in the Southern part of the state. So that would um, therefore increase the amount of oil wells and pollution and whatnot. So I, I, went to visit him and followed him around and he showed me, he used to be an oil worker himself. He showed me all these different oil wells around Southern Illinois or just in, just basically five, 10 miles from his house. And there's just piles of oil on the ground and uh, all the different pollution. And at one time the, the sheriff came to his door and knocked on him and said, don't you be, you know, going around with a video camera and showing all this stuff. But then another week later, 
uh, all the oil wells were all cleaned up. Like the, the, the Illinois Department of Natural Resources came through and like inspected everything and did all that stuff. So that made me feel really good, you know, because a lot of times I put a video out in the world and I have, I can go look at the likes on YouTube or Facebook. I'm like, but it does, there's no real sense there. I'm not showing it to a live audience. So there's a disconnect between my work and who sees it and how it impacts people. And I think that's true for most video professionals. You don't really know how it's impacting people. But for this particular instance, I was like, oh, wow, I had a, a direct, my video filming this thing had a direct impact on this guy's life and also the environment. And I thought that was pretty cool. That's that's pretty amazing. And and that's what I talk to a lot of my clients about too is, so what is, the, the first thing they say is they want to have make a video. It's like, what is the action or what is the next action that you want the person to do after seeing the video? And a lot of times it's, you know, donate money. Right? Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, I want them to share it. And we want to get as many views on this to raise awareness as possible. But it's funny. I use the analogy of like a, a, a food bank where, you know, you have eight potential audiences that you could reach there where it's, you know, volunteers to help you okay. can things. There's the clients you're actually serving. There's the... Um, big, big donors that you, that you want to bring in. And then there's the everyday donors that you want to bring in. Each, each of those subsets is a different video that you'd potentially make. Sure. And I I find a lot, I find a lot that when those organizations that are, you know, generally don't have a big communications budget go to make a video, they want to make a video that encompasses all of those things. Yeah. And in a sense, defeating its own purpose to a certain degree. And, and what you're saying with the, with the impacts and the, and it's, it's hard for if somebody's spending a certain amount of money on a video mm-hmm. to then expect it to just do this one thing. Yeah. <laughs> the attention's uh, every day. Yeah, totally. Like trying to get a video not to do too many things, you know, where it's like, Oh, we want to talk about, you know, offshore oil and the impacts and the movement and the, the whales and all these things. And then have it be a minute, you know, so you got to f- kind of focus on certain things. And so that's a good analogy. I might use that. Um, but I don't think, I think it's a, a conversation that you, uh, at least I continually have, you know, with people, they're like limited budgets and they want to, they want as many people to know about as many issues or many things about the issue as possible. So of course the inclination is to be like, include more in the video, but it, you might do yourself a, a more service to uh, just focus, do one thing well. And then all of a sudden people can be like pulled in a little bit more and then learn about these other things, you know? Greenpeace is the type of organization that has the reach and has the has the capability to create a lot of content. And I think um, when you look back at even the four years that you've been there, you've created a ton of media, probably, you know, in close to a hundred videos in some, you know, in some capacity or more. Um, whereas there's a lot of nonprofits, I think, and organizations that are starting to get into that game mm-hmm. of creating content as a way to indirectly brand themselves or just have content that then drives back to their website or, or shows shows them out there um, as, a, as a someone who has something to say. But it's interesting because it seems like the content that's being created is is not a moneymaker, right? There's no way to possibly 
make money off of directly off of the media that you're creating. Would you have any final thoughts about um, even we've spent a long time talking about reaching an audience, which I think is is kind of the number one thing or having an impact is kind of the number one thing that you want your video to do. Do you have any uh, final thoughts about the way in which media is going and and maybe, you know, professional goals for you within Greenpeace that, you know, I really want to explore this area, even either through technology or through a campaign? I think um, you might feel this too, but I think the trends are um, more and more people are watching video. So the demand for it is going up and up. And um, I guess people want it cheaper and faster, you know. Um, it's not as cinematic and polished and all that, you know. I would like to see how to interject a more documentary style storytelling in that space. That would be really interesting to really kind of hone down the three minute or five minute documentary, but to have it. So take a 10 minute or 15 minute documentary and make it three to five minutes online, you know, with, with online techniques of text on screen and that actually goes somewhere and takes the person somewhere in three minutes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I guess that, that would be good instead of just like, here are the facts It's basically what you could have read in a newspaper, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. The, the thing I learned through the documentary work that I've done is that, that the narrative is the most important part Yeah, and like bringing and going to a, a very specific point <laughs> as opposed to, you know, there's a lot of information and people get caught up with the information and facts and numbers, sure. whereas that's kind of just subject matter or, or content. It's not a story. It's not, yeah. it's not something that's on the face of it going to be compelling. It's the processing that happens to that information that, that makes it a story yeah. or makes it worth, worth watching. Yeah. Um, yeah. The more storytelling techniques you can incorporate into your videos, the better. And the more, you know, about storytelling techniques, the better. Um, I just find the the pushes to make it um, shorter and faster. Um, but I think in our society, uh, and I think you and I will agree on this, but like empathy is what we need to be able to understand this such a bipolar kind of world we're living in. And uh, through that, it's important to have a narrative and, and to be able to kind of understand walk a little bit in someone's shoes and I think documentary filmmaking is one the documentary films are, are some of the best tools to do that you know cool well thanks for coming on oh thanks Shamish. for having me this is Devin Gallagher host of Media on the Radio and thanks for listening you can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio Media on the Radio is recorded at Arlington Independent Media. For more information, visit arlingtonmedia.org. Please subscribe on iTunes to Media on the Radio, where each week it'll send the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you. It's so easy.